Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us for the February 10th episode of Poets and Muses. We chat with poets about their inspiration. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. You can follow us on SoundCloud, Instagram, as well as Twitter at Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at the upper right-hand side of our SoundCloud Poets and Muses page. Today, our poet guest, Oscar Mencinas, joins us to discuss his poem, Every Father Says I Love You, and my poem, Soft Light. Before we turn to our guest, however, let us go over the poetry events that will be taking place during the week of February 11th. On Monday, February 11th, from 6 to 9, Cafe Tuba African Coffee Shop will be hosting its Speakeasy Cafe Tuba Open Mic at Elzo Hour Restaurant at 7812 North 27th Avenue in Phoenix. From 8.15 to 9.15, Arizona Masters of Poetry will be hosting its Creative Collaborative Jam at Blaze Pizza, which is at 5120 North Central Avenue, Phoenix. On Tuesday, February 12th, from 4 to 5.30 p.m., the Institute for Humanities Research at ASU will be hosting Dr. Paula Byrne, who will be discussing the role of poetry in a therapeutic setting that's at the ASU's Ross Blakely Hall, 196. And the address for that is 1102 South McAllister Avenue in Tempe. From 6 to 8 p.m., Connect and Heal will be hosting its weekly poetry writing workshop at the Chandler Community Center, which is at 125 East Commonwealth Avenue in Chandler. From 6 to 9 p.m., the Virginia G. Piper Center for Creative Writing at ASU will be hosting a celebration of Natalie Diaz poetry reading, which will be taking place at the Carson Ballroom at Old Main on the ASU Tempe campus, which is at 400 East Tyler Hall in Tempe. From 6.30 to 8.30, Poetry Workshop with Merle Noodleman, specializing on Ickfrace's poetry, will be taking place at Changing Hands Bookstore, which is at 6428 South McClintock Drive in Tempe. From 8 to 11 p.m., King Kong will be hosting his weekly The Underground Experience at 2601 on Central, which is at 2601 North Central Avenue in Phoenix. Make sure to get there by 7.30 if you want to get on the mic. On Wednesday, February 13th, from 8 to 11 p.m., Poetic Soul Phoenix will be hosting its weekly open mic at Club Downtown at 702 North Central Avenue in Phoenix. Make sure to get there by 7 p.m. if you want to sign up for the mic. Wednesday is also the last day to sign up for February 16th, that's Saturday's Pocket to Me open mic at Palabra's Bilingual Bookstore. And you can do that by emailing info at palabrasbookstore.com. That's P-A-L-A-B-R-A-S bookstore.com. Thursday, February 14th, Valentine's Day, from 7 to 9 p.m., Long Known Publishing will be hosting its Phoenix Poetry Slam at the Lost Leaf at 914 North 5th Street in Phoenix. To get on the mic, you have to get there by 6.50 p.m. There's an erotic haiku deathmatch prior to the regular poetry slam. From 7 to 10 p.m., Pikes of Hoot Productions will be hosting its Valentine's Day Red Light Special, a night of erotic poetry open mic and performance at the Sheraton Phoenix Airport Hotel in Tempe, which is at 1600 South 52nd Street in Tempe. Make sure to get there by 6 p.m. to sign up for the mic. 
on Friday, February 15th from 5 to 8 p.m., Flower Lounge will be hosting its Speak Easy, a mini creative writing and spoken word workshop with Tomas Stanton, who's the host of last week's Wordplay Cafe. And this will be taking place at the Lotus Wave Flower Lounge, which is at 810 West Bethany Home in Phoenix. From 7 to 11 p.m., Cleopatra will be hosting her organic poetry at the Unexpected Art Gallery, which is at 734 West Polk Street in Phoenix. From 7 to 11.30 p.m., Elwyn House will be hosting its Erotic Poetry and Music Festivals at Elwyn House Foundation, which is located at 1204 East Roosevelt Street in Phoenix. Among its many notable poets will be one of our upcoming guests, Tristan Marshall. From 7.30 to 10 p.m., We Jazz June will be hosting its Jazz Meets Poetry Women in Jazz and Poetry event at The Nash, which is at 110 East Roosevelt Street in Phoenix. Among the feature poets of this event will be one of our previous guests, Dr. Tamika Sanders. From 8 to 11 p.m., Latosky and Speaking Into Existence will be hosting is Smoke It Into Existence open mic at Just Blaze Smoke Shop, which is located at 1001 East Camelback Road in Phoenix. On Saturday, February 16th, from 9 a.m. to noon, Flower Lounge will be hosting an expansive workshop in Truth Teller Intensive with guest Tomas Stanton, again at Lotus Way Flower Lounge, which is at 810 West Bethany Home, Phoenix. To sign up for this or the Friday workshop, email hello at lotusway.com. That's L-O-T-U-S-W-E-I.com. From 6 to 9 p.m., Pocket to Me Open Mic Night will be taking place at Palapas Bilingual Store at 1738 East McDowell Road in Phoenix. On Sunday, February 17th from 1.30 to 2.30 p.m., Connect and Heal will be hosting its monthly poetry workshop at the Chandler Public Library, which is at 22 South Delaware Street in Chandler. That will be followed by Connect and Heal's poetry open mic at Improv Mania, which will take place at 250 South Arizona Avenue in Chandler from 3 to 5 p.m. And now let us turn to our guest poet, Oscar Mancinas. Oscar, thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Oh, thank you for having me. Of course. Happy to be here. We are going to be reading some love poems, starting with yours, Every Father Says I Love You. But before we get into it, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so I'm local. Uh, I was born and raised in Mesa, Washington Escobedo neighborhood stand-up. Um, which is right near downtown. I lived here until I was about uh, 18. And then I went away to college for four years, uh, came back briefly, went to live in South America for a year, came back briefly, then went to go do grad school, and now hopefully I'm back for good. I'm hoping. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm tired of all the moving and traveling, and I miss home, like, a lot. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'm, it's kind of my deal at the moment. Okay, cool. And what brought you to poetry? I know you write different genres. Mm -hmm. Why poetry? I've always loved poetry, and I I, it's I feel it feels fairly obvious. But you encounter people who don't. um, Mm -hmm. Even in like I so I was privileged enough to do an MFA in creative writing, or unlucky enough, whatever you want to say. Uh, (laughs) And you you'd be surprised how many people, even in creative writing programs, who are like 
you know, well, I write nonfiction or I write fiction, I, I, poetry. I just, I don't get it. I could never do that. That's mm-hmm. it's weird, right? Who are, or people who like have an appreciation for it, but kind of appreciate it the way you appreciate someone who can swallow a sword. Like, <laughs> right. There's something like freakish about this and the people who do it are weird. And I, it's obvious, certainly it's a skill worth admiring, but it's so foreign to them. And, um, I don't know. I've always liked poetry. I've always liked reading it. Uh, I didn't, you know, I would write like little vignettes of stuff when, you know, when I was younger. Um, but I was always drawn to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I do write other stuff, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I try to keep as much poetry in my life as possible. Um, mm-hmm. cause if I stray too far from it, you, you know, you start to feel just like, uh, like, the was, yeah, something's missing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm, it's like a vitamin deficiency. Right? <laughs> you start to like, kind of just like, why am I groggy all the time? Or why am I? irritable and the answer is mm-hmm. probably like because I've been my head has been too busy and other stuff and I kind of haven't been nurturing myself on the thing that is really good for you right, right. Um, if you, right. you appreciate it I mean you also write poetry so you know what I'm right I feel yeah, like you, you yeah. Able, yeah so yeah yeah. Definitely. yeah yeah it was I, I feel like like poetry especially modern poetry has mm-hmm. evolved to the point that anybody can approach it even from a prose perspective uh, using prose yeah. it's funny to hear that you know people are still i guess intimidated in some ways by the form yeah i think so and i think part of it is i think school does us no favors yeah. i think being in a public school in the states uh unless you go to a really particularly good one or have like you know one of those like i had a great english teacher who like you know kind of brought this stuff to life I think it just it's so intimidating and it's presented as so distant mm-hmm. as the like in a way that fiction and uh other prose writing maybe isn't or even drama writing right like because you get to like I don't know if you ever get to be in a school play it's like oh yeah I can you know Shakespeare makes sense to me because like these jokes are 500 years old but like fundamentally it's about like somebody getting kicked in the butt or something so <laughs> but you're right. I mean, more contemporary poetry or other these other avenues for poetry, I feel like, that are community-based or you come across them maybe in college or at open mics, right, um, mm-hmm. like the ones that are around here, make you kind of go like, oh, wait a minute, this isn't scary, right? Or this isn't highfalutin. This isn't right. uh, something that is just like, oh, God, I need a PhD in English to appreciate, <laughs> right? Or, or whatever, right? right? right. That, that it's actually not only accessible, but it comes pretty natural to the way a lot of us think, mm-hmm. right? To sort of like narrate things or, or or try to put words to an image or to a feeling, right? Mm-hmm. It kind of makes more sense than like a five paragraph essay, which right. is which is how we're kind of conditioned to to make sense of you know an, analyzing things in, in school and whatnot. Right, right, and I, I think poetry can be analytical as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, and it kind of reminded me of someone I met at one of these uh, poetry readings <laughs> who was a teacher and who was trying to get her students to write poetry, and they were very intimidated until someone pointed to a kid and said, "Well, he writes rap," and the teacher was saying well that is poetry so right exactly right like we all like music right right? we all love even if it's not right we all enjoy lyrics right to an extent we all enjoy like these sort of easily portable words right that Mm -hmm. like we're not all walking around with novels in our back back pockets but right the idea of what is capital p poetry still feels there are a couple that are accessible right that you're just like like today's the first day of black history month not to give away the day of the recording but black history month and so like oh langston hughes right let america Mm -hmm. be america again or or readily accessible but Mm -hmm. otherwise you're just like who can you know who can even make sense of this stuff what are they talking about (laughs) but like part of that is yeah not only is it analytical but also like the way you get to this stuff right can just be like this poem makes me feel a certain way interrogating that is like well what is that right what's happening here right right Um, right? why do do these lyrics appeal to me right Mm -hmm. Um, even if a person doesn't share much in common with you you're like 
there's something here, right? There's a connection. Yeah, exactly. The meaning of poetry is not necessarily what the author intended, but also what the reader takes away from it. Totally, yeah. I mean, and that's sort of the good and bad, right? You can be meaning something and it just doesn't get there, or you sort of mean something else to someone, and then, I mean, it's it's not yours anymore. Right, exactly, once you put it out there. Yeah. Speaking of putting it out there, would you like to read us? uh, Thank you. Uh, Every Father Says I Love You? Sure. Every Father Says I Love You. Not mine, though. Not the one from the Sierra in northern Mexico. Not the one who said cuida before hola, before hello. What's he to do working in a mine, a teen deep in the earth, where I love you cannot breathe? Or when Indio blooms into grapes in triple-digit heat, and he's up before dawn, and done after I love you has gone to sleep? I love you isn't at his wedding, so what's he to know about love or you? Or when I crawl all over the floor, grasping at the world with confidence like the morning sun? Spitting and crying, I see Dad and tug at his dirt on his dirty pant leg and beg to be lifted. He picks love up, and I love you climbs from his arms over his heart to his shoulders. I love you sits, rests my cheek against Dad's cheek and listens. As I said before, it's such a beautiful poem. I Thank love you. how it builds up. You know, after the initial disappointment, you think it's going to be just like some heart-wrenching <laughs> poem. And it is heart-wrenching in, in a loving way. Mm. Oh, thank you. No, thank you. That's so I have some questions, some, some uh, linguistic questions. Quira, sure. uh, when I heard you say it for the first time when you were reading this poem, I thought it was a version of cuidado. Mm, sure, yeah. Sounds like it, right? Yeah, yeah. But so what is it? I, I couldn't find it. Yeah, so it's not surprising. So Guida is the salutation in my father's indigenous heritage. He was born on the ancestral land of the tribe that my paternal grandparents belong to, mm-hmm. um, the Raramuri or Tarahumara, is how they're often called. Mm-hmm. That's the salutation. Cuidado is sort of means like, are you well? You know, how are you? And, and okay. Part of what makes it hard to Google is like, this is one spelling of it. And, okay. you know, because it's an indigenous language, it's been transcribed in different ways. So sometimes okay. it's spelled with a G at the front. Sometimes it's a C. Um, okay. I'm not even sure if I pronounce it correctly because I don't know how kind of like in the throat that <laughs> sound is supposed to be. Okay. The inclusion there is in the succession of the linguistic journey my mm-hmm. father has taken. Right, from this indigenous language to learning Spanish and then ultimately English once he migrated to the States. Right, right. And you had mentioned his his native nation is in northern Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, where exactly? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, we're in Arizona, directly south to the, of the border of, for us is Sonora, mm-hmm. um, where there are a lot of Mexican folks who have, here in Arizona have roots there. There's a lot of back and forth, right. obviously. To the east of Sonora is the state of Chihuahua. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the mountains, uh, specifically the Sierra Madre Occidental, the western mountains, mm-hmm. is where this sort of ancestral land lies. Initially, we were in the valleys there, and then as sort of European encroachment came, the community so slowly transitioned to living in the mountains and sort of at higher altitudes. Okay. And uh, my paternal grandfather was born in the town of Batopilas, which is sort of like the big mining trading city to be established there. A city that I've only been to once, yeah, a long time ago, but I'd like to go back. But yeah, so that's yeah. sort of where we are. Thank you for explaining. It's it's really of course. nice. Of yeah. for the listeners, given the news coverage that there is, it always seems like Mexico, one big place with sure. one people. Sure, yeah. sure, sure, yeah. So it's good to, to have that dissection of, of the, the aftermath of colonialism mm-hmm. and what that effect on the indigenous people there. Out of curiosity, do you know what they were mining? What? Yeah, uh, silver. The, the Spanish Spanish found silver there, I want to say, as early.
early as like the 1620s. I'm, I'm not, I shall say, this is stuff I kind of research as well. Mm-hmm. Silver was the big one. There have been these, you know, as there are in, like out here, right? Kind of, it's a similar story into just like the wet, this part of like the world in general, right? Like somebody strikes metal or oil and then what happens? The, the railroads come through, right? And when the railroads get finished, then just the people flood in. They, yeah, they discovered silver. There'd been like intermittent silver mining for hundreds of years. Yeah. They finally completed this big Mexican railroad called El Ferrocarril del Pacifico that connected these part of the mountains to the west coast of Mexico, mm-hmm. um, which is where my family ended up moving to. My dad's family ended up moving to uh, in 1960. So mm-hmm. there's been, you know, these waves of movement that have been triggered by mining companies and stuff like that. When, when my, my dad actually, I mean, it's in the poem, but my dad worked in a mine as a teenager. Um, right, yeah. yeah. I was wondering about that when, when this word popped up. A teen deep in the earth where I love you cannot breathe. But even though it's not black lung as associated with coal mining, there's still a lot of dust and that hurts the lungs. That you kind of reference that in passing, even mm-hmm. though you don't go into it, you stick with the theme of the poem. Though it gives you a flavor of the endurance that people need to have in order to go into it. Yeah, no, my, my pop is, uh, is, he's a hardcore dude. He started working for a mining company, I believe, when he was 13 or 14. Um, he was So he's the second youngest of 10 kids, mm-hmm. and grandparents didn't have a lot, so this was like, he would make money doing this. I think for a while he was the, <laughs> it was like his job was to like crawl into hard to reach places and load dynamite in. Oh, fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he was, it was funny. Like about a, a few months ago, we were talking, he and I were talking, and he's like, you know, if I'd stuck with that job, I probably would have had like a decent pension by now I would have retired and I was like you ever think about that and he goes yeah sometimes just like what might have been and I'm mm. like I, again right for me which is just like the, the, the joke I always make whenever I read this poem out loud is just like you know my dad's been working with his hands and working these sort of different jobs all over Mexico and in the U.S. since he was a teenager and he has a son like me who's almost there and I'm just like dad I'm having trouble writing a poem today like you know what I mean like just like these are my complaints this this is like I don't know I just feel kind of sad for no reason pop what do you think uh, (laughs) well it's kind of nice right I mean that what you brought up that you can actually talk about this with him yeah I I was fortunate enough to do a reading in in Mesa my hometown not that far from my house in downtown he and my mom both came and it was the first time I'd ever read this poem and he was in the audience for it and he really liked it yeah he was very complimentary and and my dad is going back to again like is you know what makes poetry seem inaccessible my dad is someone who got as far as a formal education goes like what you would consider like about a third or fourth grade Mm -hmm. right again because of the circumstances because the family was moving because he was you know so little and all these things so you would you would someone would look at him and say well here's someone who just he's never going to get poetry right meanwhile like no he was like you know this is my life and it was it was very complimentary it was like i never would have thought i would have reached the point in my life where like i would have written this and my dad would have heard it and he and I would have talked about it afterwards, but he was very kind and uh, sweet. Yeah, that's nice. And and so you should you now you actually do talk with him on a regular basis about writing poetry or or the process of writing poetry. Every once in a while, he'll so you know I've been trying to get a chapbook of about twenty poems published for a few years now. Um, mm-hmm. I'm also trying to get a fiction manuscript off the ground or place somewhere. And, uh, you know, once in a while he'll ask me, because, again, he, he doesn't really know how this stuff works, right? right, he, right. He'll still ask, like, how's, how's it going? How's the writing? And I'll be like, you know, kind of, I'm in a stage of pitching and waiting, right? There's, right, there's not right. a whole lot. I'll let you know if and when I feel like something, you'll be the first to know. Like, that's right. it to both my parents, right? Like, mom and dad, you'll be the first to know when, like, yeah. I get big news. But, yeah, you know, he'll check in, which is, like, really kind of him. Yeah, yeah, it's really nice to be able to talk with your parents about it, especially, as you said, um... <laughs> 
don't know why I'm thinking in a different language. So no, of course, uh, please. Yeah, I'll, I'll be, there's there's three of them in this poem, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that's what this poem evokes for other people. Right, right. And that love goes across barriers, all kinds mm-hmm. of barriers. I was just saying it's really nice that, you know, you, you and your parents can, can relate to each other despite the fact that you come from such different backgrounds in many ways, even though you know, same bloodline but very different, different experience. I feel like anybody who has an experience with immigration or first or second gen or, or you know, whatever, just will, can relate to that, right? Or it's, mm-hmm. If you are born or grow up in a completely different national context than your parents right yeah <laughs> it's just like how how can we possibly be related yeah right yeah. and well and also the generational differences right. even even for people who've lived here in the u.s for a long time you know for generations mm-hmm. between the 50s and the 70s let's say and then even the 70s and the further gen x gen y and all that yeah all of those gen letters <laughs> there, <laughs> yeah. there's always some kind of experiential differences because i mean i think we're feeling it right now mm-hmm. the, the the friction between the generations totally. right now because some of the understandings that do not cross generational barriers so it's really nice to hear that you are able to do that your father understands your passion mm-hmm. and that's really nice if you don't mind just restating again the nation indigenous nation sure um, they are so they're commonly known as the Tarahumara uh, T-A-R-A-H-U-M-A-R-A okay the sort of self-described name because the sort of like with a lot of things that name is a kind of Spanish misrepresentation of mm. their self-described name which is Raramuri which is typically transcribed as R-A-R-A-M-U-R-I uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so. Does it have a meaning? Those who run or the runners, uh, like the, the, the runners on two feet. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. If you've ever seen the, I think it's a documentary called Born to Run. Um, the tribe is sort of internationally renowned for having the sort of tradition of long distance running. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that's okay. kind of the, the, the claim to fame. That's how they're sort of known. Yeah, I've heard of the name of the documentary. Sounds familiar, but I didn't know what the subject was mm-hmm. really about. Yeah. That's they, cool. they train at high altitudes, and okay. running is like goes way back as kind of this cultural uh, expression that the that you just sort of are socialized with uh, when you grow up in the community. Okay. okay. Yeah. So. And so one of the reasons I wanted to ask, and I mean, you brought it up before, but also because I, I was looking up this word in your third stanza when it says, or when indio blooms into grapes. I am terrible with the different names of fauna and flower, mm-hmm. <laughs> both here and anywhere else. Sure. I had looked up indio and it said that it was an indigenous region as well, besides, I guess, the name of a flower. Can you explain that a little bit oh, for my sake? Yeah, I didn't know it was the name of a flower. I actually, so indio is a Spanish word, which means Indian. It's a masculinity. Mm-hmm, right. So the reason it's capitalized in the poem, it's also a town in Southern California. Mm-hmm, that yeah. was, yeah, that was big for uh, agriculture. Um, okay. And again, going back to this is, you know, me narrating my pop's life. That was one of the, one of the first places he settled when he migrated. He was, um, okay. I think he was like 17 and he was working as a farmer, as an agricultural, you know, migrant worker in Indio, I believe as part of like, they're picking grapes and maybe strawberries. I, I, I'm unfamiliar with like what produce comes from that part of California specifically, okay. but I do remember it was grapes. Okay. Um, and if you've ever been to Indio, it's like south of Los Angeles. It's, it's blown up, I think, as far as population is concerned but okay. I you know I just memories of I remember when we were like little we'd go to visit like family in LA and we'd drive past Indio and my dad would just like mention you know I used to live here I used to work here and I was like oh okay so 
<laughs> okay. Oh, cool. It's it's great. Actually, I don't know if India is actually a flower's name. Mm. I had kind of assumed that it could be. Yeah. I mean, you doubled it. You know, it was a double meaning. I mean, thank you. Yeah, if it, if it does serve as that, again, going back to like the interpretation, right? If that's what it serves at, then that's mm -hmm. sort of what the poem expresses. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. It's cool. Several people I've interviewed and also I've, I've met here, especially from the Latinx community, have roots in California. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that's just because the migration route. Yeah. Um, you yeah. go over, do you mean you go to where there's jobs, right? Right, I mean, it's, right it's, okay. a, it's a similar reason for why, you know, any other immigrant group, like you have these big enclaves and like, why are there so many uh, East Asians in San Francisco, right? It's where, right. The, jo it's where the jobs yeah, were, right? right? When, when folks got here, right. um, you know, you, Eastern Europeans in New York, Italians in New York, right? It's like where the jobs were, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. That's where you ended up. Yeah. So going back to the basic question about this poem that I usually ask every, every guest is, what inspired you to write this poem? particular poem? Mm, yeah, good question. This poem, there was a time in my life where I was really struggling emotionally. I'd gone through some pretty tough stuff and it stands out in my mind because it was like, I remember my dad who would like, you know, he and I, like, we, we, we're pretty open with each other now, but, you know, he's not much of a talker. He's not, mm -hmm. he's nothing like me. Like, I, I have a gigantic yap, and I'm very, like, emotionally, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm out here. Like, I write poetry. I read these emotional poems. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm, I have, I'm much more inclined to kind of do this for whatever level. And he's a, he's a reserved guy. He's, he's quiet. He, so it was notable when he, like, really consoled me during this, this time. It wasn't perfect, but I could sense him making this effort, and it just, like, mm -hmm. really stuck with me i'm like you know this is my dad who you know has known me my whole life and we've had you know at times a tricky relationship but he's like trying right and like yeah. I, it was a, this poem came about several years after that as i was like i don't know if you've had this experience but like you start hitting certain ages and like realize like when your parents were that age mm. and like what was happening in their lives and you yeah. just kind of like are flummoxed by like i can't believe they were doing this <laughs> right and sort of trying to put yourself in there. and like you know you just have to humanize them a little more where you're mm -hmm. just like well no wonder right like yeah. i was thinking about that and the one time my dad ever in English told me that he loved me and I wanted to sort of like tap into that and, and the way the poem came about was like it was, was going to originally be about like kind of everything in his life leading up to when he said that to mm -hmm. me mm -hmm. right but then like that just didn't I was in a workshop I actually got this poem workshop in my master's and I was fortunate that like my classmates this is a good workshop story uh, <laughs> not, there are a lot of, there are a lot of not like the other yeah, poems yeah I feel like everyone's got like a workshop nightmare right and then people told me I should do this and they just didn't you know but this was actually good for my classmates I think caught on to the fact that I love you was serving as the kind of its own character mm -hmm, in the yes. in, in the poem, right? And that like not only is it kind of interesting, but it would be interesting to break it up in different parts, right? And kind of mm -hmm. incorporate it. And I was like, oh shit, you guys are right. Like that's really smart. I wish I'd thought of it, but uh, <laughs> I was I obviously was like more than happy to take the feedback. And mm -hmm. so it, it kind of so that's why yeah, the poem sort of ends or it culminates not in like that one thing I described, but sort of more in this like reflection on what does it mean for my dad to have, to make these journeys linguistically through time through space across borders what influence has he sort of had i kind of thought about it like if i was going to try to describe him to a hypothetical child of mine which i don't have what would be a way to kind of capture but he was kind of a, you know he was he was a complex dude he is a complex he's still with us um but, you know, he's a complex guy, but mm -hmm. that he, like, you could sense this stuff isn't always communicated. And, and, right. and back to your, what you're talking about, this is generational, right? I mean, men, right? Like, we don't, we're not emotional. Like, <laughs> right? there's just a certain element. Again, and it's not, I, I, it's like not his fault that he, like, fathered me. And I'm just, like, again, this, like, emotional mess. But 
Um, how would right if you couldn't if you couldn't tap into someone and say like this is how they express these things right like what are ways you could kind of describe that right and, and give mm-hmm. this context behind this human being to go my dad is sort of he's there in these different ways so that's a really long answer and I apologize no don't but, it's great it's, uh, I think it's it's nice to see all the elements or so many of the elements that brought this poetry into being mm-hmm. and obviously it wasn't one specific incident necessarily but that it's over the years and then it kind of was brewing inside you I guess and then it just came out and then it got worked on and I see when you were talking about this journey when you talked about your dad's journey but then throughout the poem love or I love you that character mm-hmm. also takes a journey albeit a shorter mm-hmm. journey right yeah. because it's looking to be picked up it climbs onto the limbs of your father mm-hmm. so it does move there's movement throughout the poem mm-hmm. so it's really nice to see that oh thank you it definitely comes through that i love you is a character and it's at times it's you at times it's mm-hmm. the emotion and the at times it's just the words you know sometimes it takes on three different characteristics yeah so. Yeah, and I think part of that was like, again, th- like reflecting because about like, why are we prompted to write these, you know, write what we do when we do it. I think part of it for me is also asking myself sometimes like, well, if I am dissatisfied with something, like why, right? What is it about, you know, we have to think about like, what is it about something that sticks with us? But also like, what is it about a thing that like for a long time, like what is it about the fact that my dad is sort of emotionally a certain way that bothers me, right? Like if I was mm-hmm. being honest with myself, like why does it bother me? Mm-hmm. And I think it was really just because I, like I needed something to be dissatisfied with this. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, oh, you know, some American kids get like their dad say they love them, right? Like, mm-hmm. with, But like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if I was in that position and my dad said it every day, I'd probably be like, hey, it doesn't mean anything, you know? So, right. so the fact that I can kind of point to this one moment where I could, you know, was, I was cognizant of hearing it the first time in English, right? That's, that's mm-hmm. another thing too, right? Because, you know, he said... You know, he's expressed affection in Spanish before, but that moment and, like, why it stuck with me and, and, you know, why, like, as I've gotten older, I've learned to see my dad as a, both my parents, honestly, see them both as, like, human beings who are, like, they took these gigantic risks um, for us, for themselves, for their families, for, you know, for for their health. And, uh, you know, for me to sort of just try to appreciate that, right, without, mm. without downplaying all these other facets, right? Like, it, no one, like, there's nothing perfect, but it's just like, yo, man, could I have done all this, right? Like, I asked yeah. myself, like, what I, like, if I, if I was a parent, right? I'm like, what I, Jesus, I couldn't imagine. Right, yeah. right. It's a different journey, right? Different journeys. I wonder the same about whether or not I could have done what my parents do. And we are reaching back as they're reaching toward us, sometimes in ways that we don't necessarily understand. Mm-hmm. And, right. and that could bring about a lot of friction, a lot of trauma. In fact, I just wrote something this morning about different ways of loving or different oh. ways of expressing love. Okay. Yeah, and to everybody is different and it's a matter of being able to understand it, being able to accept it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's not. Most times it's not very easy right. to do. Right. Right. So it's really nice that in some ways your poem is a translation of action into emotion. Mm, that's a great way of putting it. That sounds cool. Thank you. Um, do should we transition into speaking of sort of the two forms? Hi, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. This is your show. Sure, Please don't, sure. don't, no, don't no, let no, me no, call no. the shots. No, thank you. I appreciate the interesting point. Uh, you have to excuse yeah, me. Yeah. So from uh, tender parental love, we're going to go into heartbreak, <laughs> and that's my poem, uh, "Soft Light." You made a choice. 
that renders all the other choices impossible. The undulations of probability waves fall flat in the aftermath of your decision. Meals and laughters to be shared, not only viable in the imagination. Words whispered while we're locked in a dreamy embrace would never reach their intended, as fantasies fall far from reality. Tendered and impassioned feelings that might have been dissipate like a fog under the harshness of an unforgiving sun, whose astringent light burns off all the illusions of the infinite worlds that could have been. While I am ultimately grateful, sometimes I want to live as a vampire in the night, where sharp lines are softened by dimly lit street lamps. And magic is the only logic that explains the cruel intentions of loved ones. Thank you. I'm curious as to, I feel weird because I don't want to pry too far, but like what ahead, um, what ahead. prompted this poem or what prompted, is there one event or is this a kind of culmination of things? I can trace this particular poem to one event. I'm not sure if <laughs> I can share the specifics here, sure, but sure, I'll yes. try to. Yeah, yeah. No, please don't. Don't, um, don't share any more than you feel comfortable doing. Yeah. That's why I want to know more, but I also want to respect, again, it's a very... First of all, I mean, I should say, there's some awesome imagery here. It's very emotionally charged and still feels like I have no idea when this might have happened, you know, the, what the poem seems to be alluding to, but it feels very fresh and urgent. So that's why I kind of want to tread lightly, but please. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, it, it is pretty fresh. The event happened in 2017, okay. and it was a betrayal, but not in the way that some people who read this poem might think, or maybe the quote-unquote normal kind of betrayal that one would think of okay. in, in a love relationship. Mm-hmm. It's not quite... I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, personally, if it's a mutual feeling, even. This is more a crush that I had on somebody whom I thought had felt similar. Maybe I'm not sure what to what degree feelings mm-hmm. for me, but then something had happened to me, and without ever speaking to me about it without ever coming to me about it I found out at an event that he had taken the side of the other person mm-hmm. I'm putting this in a very light yes way. please no be as vague <laughs> as you need to be yeah um, I, I think I'm getting good yeah when I saw that I had at that time written a poem about that okay. but it was much more fact-based and this is a poem that's related to the other poem I, I was because you know sometimes crushes they, they take time to oh, wash away absolutely <laughs> yeah no no for sure and it was a hard crush too so I was reflecting on that poem and on the original event as well and I feel like I've said this in every episode so far I'm also a science geek so mm. so I I can see that coming through. Yeah. So I use some language with science describing like probability waves and stuff. Totally, yeah. And that's something I kind of want to... I wanted to ask you about because I really like the kind of stitching together of what one would consider kind of this sort of hard science-based approach to understanding things and, and mm-hmm. what you could describe as, which might be my favorite line in the whole thing, the mag- magic is the only logic. Like the logic of magic, mm-hmm. I think is like really striking because I really was drawn to the fact that from the very beginning, we know whatever's going to happen, right? So there's this moment that you're, that sort of has re- it's happened. 
Mm-hmm. And what what comes next is impossible, right? There's a sort of, but I like that there is like, well, what is what comes after the impossible, mm-hmm. right? And you mention, you make the mention of um, at the end of the third stanza, the infinite worlds that could have been, mm-hmm. and I kind of made notes and I was just like, what if it was just, a, you know, of the infinite that could have been? But like, again, like going back to like, right? We would think that like, well, science tells, right? Hard hard science is all about what's measurable, right? What is mm-hmm. measurable? What is um, dissectable, right? How can you categorize things and mm-hmm. make it so that they're easier to understand? But where do things like infinite and impossible fall into these, right? Right. How do you how do you work them in? So I'm I'm curious, like what for you? What does it mean to evoke the unmeasurable, right? The 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 impossible. Yeah, in some ways, those are kind of throwaway words, aren't they? Because they're mm. they are immeasurable. Even in science, I think there are theorems, but maybe there's no definite. Answers. I'm not a scientist, so I can't say with any kind of expertise. I know from what I've read that science is a continual exploration. Mm-hmm. And in a way, this poem is a continual exploration because, again, there was a poem before that that was more factual. Mm-hmm. So the infinite, it's just talking about all the possible ways that this relationship could have turned out, or mm-hmm. even the lack of the relationship. This could have been just like unrequited, which it is. Sure. But in a way that's that's not so painful. It could have been a not so painful uh, unrequited crush that just peters out over time. But this one was like there's a cutoff. Right. And there's this almost a guillotine yeah. that just cut you there's no other way of going forward but this right so it's which is measurable right like for, yeah. there, to, for there to be a hard cutoff is like this this what you're describing does have an end mm-hmm. but sort of with the counter to that um and i know you said peter out but like a crush that like kind of just exists forever mm-hmm, right the, mm-hmm. the, in that kind of something that never manifests as either what we would think of as a traditional romantic romance but also it isn't immediately like you know cut off as you're sort of saying yeah right? yeah all of these possibilities no longer exist mm-hmm. from this point we have to go to this other route right which is what probability is right like probability mm-hmm. stops existing once you have an outcome yeah right like yeah. probability yeah. exists forever until you know you actually flip the coin and we like we know oh no it's you know yeah then we have the outcome and then new probability for the, the new outcome mm-hmm. that's going to take place it's always it's a measurement of the future rather than the past right yeah or actually i guess that you could measure the past but we won't go into that <laughs> yeah i mean that could be that that's because i mean because suddenly this is about right this is about the past mm-hmm. a little yes. bit right i mean it's the way so. you're describing it the past that could have at one point kind of forked off into a future that is no longer possible. Right. So that's that really interesting to again, kind of think about the sort of future past. I'm curious then, do you, is this, since we are, we are talking about love and, and in this case, maybe a more romantic love and you, someone who is interested in science, how often do you try to like, does, does, does your poet mind and your science mind or, you know, the kind of, when you are feeling these things, do you ever try to like rationalize like, well, let me play out these scenarios or like thinking of it like a chess game, like if I move here, then this might happen or, or do you, do you give in to the logic of magic? Do you kind of just say like, I don't know what, where this is going, so let me just... Well, as a poet, I take advantage of all the probabilities and possibilities and I'm fresh into a new crush. Okay, great. I'm glad to hear it. I actually, and that crush has resulted in several poems already and where I am uh, imagining possibilities and invoking possibilities, which I plan to read maybe at the next, uh, Mm. you know, 
in managers. So cool. it's actually quite embarrassing for me. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 not not that I'm having the crushes. <laughs> the object of my crush. I'm just like, why? I thought I was past this, you know, mm. <laughs> this sort of thing. So, as a poet, on a personal level, isn't that sort of what romantic feelings, or even love for anyone, even a parental love,、mm-hmm. you imagine out of love or out of a warm, inclining feeling toward that person to see how your relation would be, your relations would be, would take place. You imagine the future in in a way out of that sense of caring, sense、mm-hmm. of that feeling. Right. So yeah, even without being a poet, without writing as a poet, I would still think of the possibilities because that is one of the manifestations of love and of crushes,、mm-hmm. romantic feelings for someone. Is that sometimes you kind of just imagine the relationship, sure, sure, sure. you know, play it out in your mind, and then you go to reality, and sometimes they match, sometimes they overlap, sometimes they completely diverge. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, do a lot of your poems come from? Because I've heard you read here, you know, a couple of times. But do a lot of your poems stem from? Would you say desire? Because there's a lot of desire here, right? I mean, as much as there is certainly pain, there is still coming through, right? The kind of like the again going back to the infinite worlds that could have been. There is、yeah. the, the poem has a lot of here's all this desire that now is sort of you know without a place to go or or is kind of trapped in this perpetual like might have been. Right. Do you often sort of write about desire, whether past desire or as you were describing desire for something imagined? Yeah, I think most of my poetry do come from desire, but not necessarily romantic desire because I write a lot about social justice issues.、Mm. So there is also desire wanting to see the world become a better place, and my stimuli. Come from a lot of different places, and I find that now that I'm healing more from、mm. those incidents in the past, that I tend to write. I am able to take my eye off of myself and talk about the greater world and the other things that that I wish was becoming better. Sure. Yeah. Then, with that in mind,、um, what do you often find that desire become? Does it become sort of frustration? Does it become hope? Does it become desperation? You know, sort of thinking about these other. I know, like we started with this poem, but just thinking about these other poems you described, because again, yeah, I've heard you read about these sort of social and political ills that are kind of like kind of so readily in, in our face, right?、Um, do you? And I've heard you read things that sound frustrated and really impassioned. So, do you that desire? What does it typically channel itself into? Do you find?、Um, are you somebody? Who writes with hope? Write with anger? With both? With both? I I would say it depends on how I was feeling at the moment. Definitely, strong emotions brings about poetry. And for me,、mm-hmm. that poem that I just read、mm-hmm. tends to be a little bit lighter on the emotional side, the, the emotional driver.、Mm. I would say that that particular poem is more reflective, despite how much desire it shows. But yeah, usually very strong emotions drive out the poem, and I feel like when I feel those strong emotions and when I'm writing, it comes out faster.、Mm. But sometimes it's really random what drives me. Like I just posted on my Instagram an excerpt about Second Avenue Deli in New York that I used to frequent. 
Mm-hmm. And it was inspired literally by a poem I read on the day that I wrote this poem mm. that mentions a bagel. Okay, I think it, the email was about some kind of meeting on real estate, but they mm. mentioned bagel for some reason, and this poem just came out. Sure. And it was really easy to write too. And I'm like, huh. And then I wrote a short introduction poem to the longer poem, okay. which talked about associative thinking yeah. a little bit because it was to me a little bit of like huh yeah out of this what mm-hmm. <laughs> you know kind of yeah so it's really interesting to me the process well I and mean, then it's back to what you're describing is back to the kind of poetry can be analytical as well right that's right. sort of you trying to analyze why are these images or these feelings coming to me at once right right, and right. what is the what is the connective tissue there yeah um speaking of connective tissue and and thinking about straddling these different realities do you often find that when you're writing about maybe more contemporary present day stuff, you do reach into the past and try to like, you know, either a past feeling or a past experience with yourself and you try to like connect there or when you're in the, when you are like thinking about the past, do you ever like come back into the present and think here are some parallel situations? Because what you're describing, right, with the kind of, I thought about this deli, but also why is this, you know, these kind of contemporary issues happening in New York with real estate? Yeah, I think it does, whether or not it's expressed in the poem itself. Mm-hmm. The past definitely informs my poetry because even if I'm doing social commentary poetry, yeah. it's because not because I just read about this particular issue once. And right. most likely is because I've been familiarized with that particular issue over the years. And I try to also research when when mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with something. Like the other day I wrote because of this new crush that I have. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wrote a poem about underwater volcanoes, oh. and there was a little bit of information because I'm a bit of a science geek, and also I hate misinformation. Sure. I try not to include misinformation in my poems. So I was researching about deep water oxygen levels because I had included a line that said air, and mm-hmm. then I, I was thinking, no, I don't think there's air at the bottom of the ocean. So I researched that. Yeah. So the past definitely comes through whether whether it's through somebody else's research right. or my own experience. Yeah, that's cool. I'm, I'm curious for, now that you mentioned it, because I mean, I think, you know, there's the, we have the probability waves, but what you're describing has, how, how often do you, do you find yourself going into these kind of biology or nature for metaphors of what you're describing? Because the under, I mean, the underwater volcano, just hearing you talk about it, and like the oxygen, you know, deep in the ocean, like there's a lot of interesting connections to like, what does it feel like to be crushing for somebody? Or what does mm-hmm, it feel like mm-hmm. to feel desire? Or again, what would it feel like to feel really frustrated or really stuck? Um, right, so right. do you do you often find yourself there's got to be a phenomenon in nature that like captures what it is I feel or or is this incidental or you just like you happen to be looking up thing you're like huh that's cool I feel like it is rather as you said trying to use some metaphor to express in a way that's satisfactory to myself what I'm trying to express because at the moment that I'm trying to explain it to myself mm-hmm. because sometimes feelings and the comprehension of those feelings or they don't go together sure sometimes one just doesn't come with the other sometimes we don't even know why we do the things we do totally so i was trying to understand it and like the poem started out with i asked myself to find fire living within water Oh, cool. Okay, yeah. yeah. I literally asked myself. Sure, yeah, it, yeah, was, yeah. it was a literal line, even though it was poetic. I wrote that because it sounded poetic as mm-hmm. well. And I was searching. 
searching that. And it's funny because that's one of the other poems that I thought about reading with you mm. in conjunction with your poem here. Totally. Okay, yeah. yeah I'm glad we stumbled on it then. It, yeah. it, was, it was either this poem, Soft Lights, or that particular poem. Mm. And funny, we, we ended up talking about it anyway. I'm glad. Yeah. As just human beings, we want to be able to express whatever we're feeling towards somebody or something, right? And we lack the words. And as poets, we're supposed to make those words sound beautiful or, you know, bring some decoration. Right. To the words. But going, but right, going right. back to like the, what people think poets do, right? Like right. just make something sound pretty. Right, um, right. Decorate, decorate the table. But yeah, I, I like, I mean, I like what you're saying in terms of looking for nature or like, again, trying to find, trying to make sense, right? Trying to analyze like, well, what does it mean that fire can exist in water, right? right. Like, what does it mean that these contradictions that we think of as kind of, right? That there's also oxygen under the water, right? Something that can be breathed, something that can be hot, like all these contradictions. Right. Because um, right. I, for my own work, I, again, when my, I tried to like find like what is the not even just the beauty but like what does it mean for my dad to have made these decisions right to have made these sacrifices the things that we don't consider expressions of love but to work in a mind to pick grapes to move to right Right. Um, and and for you especially when they're traveling with children it's like yeah. what decisions they make for the children once they're grown when they're looking back did they make this decision for mm-hmm. my good right you know whether or not it turned out to be what they had desired Mm-hmm. Have you ever? I like the problem. I mean, I'm curious, I'd be curious to hear the other poem. That other poem you're describing as well, just because like I like hearing you describe your process. I was like, oh, that's yeah. really cool. I, you know, just to think like, does fire exist in water, and where and how? Do you ever sort of thematically group your poems together based on natural phenomenon, or do you find your? Do you find? I guess I'm asking. Do you find yourself? working through a particular theme at a particular time in different works. Could you describe this other poem and then like you wrote an in- the, the, the bagel poem, right? The, the deli poem and you like wrote an intro to it. Do you sort of find that you have to write these sequences often or that you kind of, your mind just sort of, you go where you go and then later you kind of maybe try to categorize or, or you think of, oh, hey, these fit as a piece or something. Yeah, I think more often than not, it's later okay. on reflection. Yeah. I do find that when I look at my poems that come chronologically, I see that when they're closer in time, they tend to use similar words or sure. invoke similar... Well, I try not to invoke similar imagery, but there tends to be repetition of words, but used differently. I don't think I do it with as much deliberation as some poets do. Mm-hmm. And what about you? Is that a constraint that you put on yourself? <laughs> I, I, well, here's, I mean, the thing is, I often end up... I get hung up on a particular image or mm-hmm. a line that'll find its way into a lot of my work and then typically after I've been writing it long enough I usually end up killing three poems and then like using bits and pieces of them for like one where I'm like finally I've gotten to this because I have to I think I'm like what you're describing like I kind of have to try it a few times to sort of be like what is this image doing like what makes the most sense for the, this, these sounds or this image that I'm kind of working with and uh, the, the only constraint I put on myself recently is like with this again getting, trying to get my chat book is like the, the theme being a sort of what are different ways I can tell the stories I've grown up with, the stories of the people close to me. You know, I have poems about my, my neighborhood, poems about my mother, poems about my cousins, mm-hmm. um, poems about, you know, me the first time I left home and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's like right afterwards, I've like, and this is, I've, you know, I've been doing this for a few years. Like, like this poem that I read today is from 2016, 2015. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. So after years, I'm like, oh, this is what, 
my brain is hung up on this, right? Mm-hmm. This is what I'm. This, okay. This is my this is my predilection at the moment, so I have to figure out why. Going back, right? I gotta figure out why. What haven't I arrived to yet, right? That I'm sort of like it's keeping me here, right. and I, I think I'm more or less with the the kind of packet of poems. I'm kind of there. Mm-hmm. Um, it took a while, mm-hmm. going on four or five years now, but I think that's that's good. I think I, I think I'm where I'm at. But yeah, I've, I I'll come back to like a metaphor. I'm just, it doesn't work here. It works better here. Stuff like that. Okay. I yeah, I end up like. I kill a lot of things in the draft process. Okay. So it sounds like you're, you work much more in the iterative sense. I think so. Yeah. yeah I, I have one poem. I will say, like, as far as my poetry goes, this one about my dad is one of the few that it really only needed about two rounds of revision. Mm-hmm. before it was like where it was at and it helped with with my my classmates who kind of f- identified you know the kind of crux of it right. i have one other poem that basically the first version i wrote is kind of the version that exists now mm-hmm. but yeah, everything else i will and and the thing that sucks is i don't know if, if you get like this because you talk you need know, to talk about like writing and rewriting mm-hmm. i will write a poem or write a few and then i have to like step away for like days or weeks yeah and then i got to come back and go okay like if i'm if i'm too close to it and when i'm trying to revise or or, or figure it out I, I i just don't see it but like right. i have to i've had poems that I've, I've written i've read 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 and then like months later come back to and go this will not work right so i have <laughs> to fix it or i have to change it yeah that ends up happening and it's you know it's just sort of you can't i can't rush that right like it's right. a sort of it, it, it takes months if it, it takes, does if it takes months it takes months like there's no sort of for me there's no getting around that because i'm just like not that sharp i don't think as or sharp as I, I as I wish I could be. Well, I don't know if any poets can just say, spit right. out something and be like, "Well, this is genius," and everybody <laughs> else agrees with it, right? right? I mean, sometimes I might, might think you know a poem came out beautifully the way that's even surprisingly beautiful to me. I'm like, "What? Mm-hmm. Wow! What happened? Cool!" <laughs> you know? Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. You feel like you feel like you could take the month off, but when that happens, <laughs> you're just like, "I I've I've done a month's worth of work and." Right. One afternoon, I'm good. Like right. it's all, it's time for me to take a long break. Right, right. Um, but often, if poetry is your craft, it doesn't always happen that way, and we're not always gifted with the ability to just be like, blah, there it is, finished. Right. I'm not as deliberate. I know that when I'm transcribing, I tend to write on my phone now, and then I mm. send it to my computer just through the fact of transmission from one software to another because I'm a terrible speller. I realized mm. a bunch of times that I've spelled something completely wrong or <laughs> that I'm using a word that actually does not exist. Mm. Sometimes I'll go with the flow and be like, hey, I'm, I'm a poet. I'm inventing a word. Sure. Or, or I go back and say, no, no, no. I, I really want the actual word. So dictionary.com, thesaurus.com mm-hmm. are like my best friends typically and then there are also times like you said you know after i've written something and i feel like i'm too close to it then i leave it for a while for days and then there's also the accidental editing which is i'm just reading through my poem for these interview processes Mm -hmm. sometimes i don't immediately know what poem i want to read to somebody else's poem Mm. so i read back through my poems and then i'm like oh my god i totally missed that part Mm. that could use some editing yeah sometimes and i think it 
you probably had this experience as well where you're rhyming you're rhyming or or the rhythm is great with within the poem and then there's a point where the rhythm just totally falls off and you have no idea what to do to fix a damn thing and you're like and so you just have to leave it be and then it'll be months later i just edited recently a poem i wrote in 20 what two three years ago i like oh this is terrible and actually when i don't know if you were there a few months ago at Palabras, i was reading something from ni- the 90s oh. and as i was reading it mm-hmm. i was like oh shoot that's totally wrong mm. that's where like yeah i i kind of come back to what you're describing i've been fortunate in different workshop experiences i kind of miss being in, in certain kinds of workshop contexts not all of them but some of them have been good having a good editor we had a poem published uh last february a year ago thank you um that was i'd been working on for a while and uh i thought it was like pretty good to go and the editor of this particular publication she made like three kind of modifications to it and she told me why and i was like that's perfect like oh my god that's Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like you just made this so you know i thought it was fine but like you made this incredibly like this is like actually better and like it made made it one of like my favorite things I ever got to be attached to Mm. getting a second that's the thing too it's kind of tough right but getting a second set of eyes um for someone who knows your work right and sort of knows what you're trying to achieve can often be what actually helps you most yeah and the editors come at a premium, and I don't just mean monetarily. No, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really difficult to find. And I know now of a workshop that just started recently and is going to go through the year in 2019 that cool. specifically, well, not specifically devoted, but tends to devote more toward poetry in Mesa, which is cool. Mm, but it's yeah. only once a month. So it's nice to have that group experience. And I, I, I just went to one last month, and I look forward to going to it again. So That's great. I will announce it in the episodes when yeah, it happens. Yeah. I, I find that very useful because it does help to have another pair of eyes on your work because sometimes you're just either you've looked at it too many times or you haven't looked at it enough what it or, or you're it's too subjective. Mm. So definitely in terms of process it's it's totally. nice to have another input. Yeah. So as we conclude our sure. interview, I wanted to know where you're planning on reading next. Jared's, I believe, the third Thursday, downtown Mesa. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably will be there, although... I, so I'm in school right now. It's hard to know when oh, I... you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard to know when I am, will be bombarded with a ton of work. I feel like it's coming soon. Okay. That's um, District 4. District 4, yeah, poetry. Uh, shout out to David and, and all those fine folks, to Jared. Yeah. I'm going to try to make it to the Palabras uh, open mic as well, the mm-hmm. Pocket to Me that's forthcoming. Yeah, those are sort of the two places, like kind of the two creative outlets I have at the moment where I, I get to do reading. Okay. I've, I'm trying to compel myself to get back into writing more newer stuff, which I haven't done uh, as much recently mm-hmm. uh, because I sort of felt like I'm at the end of these two big projects with my manus- fiction manuscript and my kind of small packet of poems. Right. So I, I like would like to see them off right before i started right. a new thing because i'm terrified of dedicating my brain to something new and then those collecting dust like that right. i've worked but on those you kind of have to don't you because i mean it takes months for them to feedback yeah give you feedback oh i know i'm aware right <laughs> I was, so I was, I was, it's like you're you're holding yourself backwards if you have something i always feel like just yeah. spit it out and and see what happens because there are so many outlets and they they cater to so many different tastes and mm-hmm. a lot of it business about uh, poetry publishing is all about kind of hit or miss oh, no, I'm matching aware. with somebody's taste I and am, editors i taste. am a billion percent aware of that yeah. trust me i uh, yeah I've, I've been through at this point a couple of i mean more than a couple of rejections for both works 
but I've, you know, some positive rejection. So like, it feels like it, they feel like they're both almost there. I'm out here trying to get that to work, trying not to get too down because there's, you know, yeah, as you said, there's a bunch of stories like uh, being in an MFA, your professors or people will just like, you know, they're littered with stories about like, here's this amazing work that was rejected, you know, something like 30 times. And then they published it. And this, and now we're all so much fortunate for this. You know what I mean? For this person's <laughs> insistence. Because right, like, it's, right. well, yeah, it's, right. uh, I realized a while back, quality has nothing to do with whether or not something gets published. Yeah. Or almost nothing, um, mm-hmm. I should say. Like, they're obviously, that's not to say, like, if you're published, it's not, doesn't mean it's necessarily good. <laughs> but if you're published, you suck. You hear that, poets? <laughs> that's right. Those are my takes. Um, no, but like, I've just, I've been in friends of mine, peers, just people who are like, you know, are, I know are doing incredible work and also are having, you know, they struggle sometimes. And it's like, this has nothing to do with you or your work and it's just about timing it's about placing it's about you know who who is sort of doing what because mm-hmm. um, I also have to tell myself because like if I ever do get something it doesn't change anything about me or my work it's just right. like alright cool right. now hopefully other people who want to see it can if they don't that's fine too yeah. like, well it's also a path to getting paid right <laughs> ah, but I mean like if I wanted to make money I would have chosen something else to do with my life like if I'm being honest like you know I, like yes it's nice to be compensated for your labor you know I'm mm-hmm. here for labor rights I'm, I'm, I'm a billion percent committed to that uh, but I'm also I'm a grad student I'm a teacher and I'm a writer if I really cared about or if money were like you know a central concern of mine I would have done something else because there's <laughs> there are easier ways to make money than those three no, fields definitely there yeah. definitely is and yeah to me as well poetry is incredibly been incredibly helpful through my trauma mm. through healing so i i find that like firstly that's the function that it serves and that's it. been really helpful going back to you though uh, just the last bit i wanted to find out how people can follow you i mean oh man on social media what is it? how how do we get in touch with you I am, but don't follow me, is what I would say. Uh, well, if you're going to put it out there, people are going to follow. So. I mean, if they can, listen, if you can find me, I'm not going to denigrate it. Like, I will probably share this in some social media circles. But I'm on Twitter, but I, I'm on the belief that Twitter is also a rancid dumpster fire that, like, nobody should willingly <laughs> subject themselves to. I hate myself every day that I willingly poison myself with it. I don't want people to follow me unless you really, really want to hear me cry about how much the sun suck or <laughs> some shitty breakfast I had. Okay, well, now that you've prefaced it so much, are, are you going to spit out what your handle is? Fine. Okay, yeah, it's at Oscar underscore Wilden, O-S-C-A-R underscore W-I-L-D-I-N. Don't say I didn't warn you. Any day now, I might just delete it. It's like, there's no guarantee. Um, I don't know. Do you disagree? Do you like social media? I don't I don't have to put this in the podcast. But like, do you? No, 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 no. I think social media is a tool, just like any other tool. Uh, okay. You know, you were saying how dirty it is. It is. It's kind of, parts of it is rancid. But it's like a large body of water or bodies of water sure. that are connected. You know, some parts are just dead and stinking <laughs> and some parts is free-flowing and, and cleanses us. Yeah. I try to swim into cleaner parts. I have one friend in particular, a really good friend of mine. Actually, I'll plug his book. Um, his name is Simon Jimenez. He's got a novel coming out next year. We went to school together. He's not on anything social mm-hmm. media-wise, much to his publisher's dismay. And I'm so <laughs> jealous. I'm like, that sounds like... Like, I'll sometimes, when he and I are talking, I'll, like, alert him as to the most recent disaster that's happening on Twitter <laughs> that has people, you know, like, wanting to punch each other. And he's just like, why do you know... Like, what 
what are you doing with your time, right? Don't you have other things going on? I'm like, I do. That's the yeah, problem. But you're skewing his view of social media. Social media could do amazing things. It could raise money for good causes. That, okay, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. That's valid. And I, I do, yeah, I, I get it. And, I, and it is, when stuff is accessible, right? Like, one of my favorite poetry publishers online is called The Shallowins, theshallowins.com. That's great that they have a presence. Like, I love them. I love the work that gets published there. Um, I think the editor there is fantastic. Yeah, you're right. I, I just I get caught up on just like you know what's the next oafish thing that like we have to deal with or like who hates who now <laughs> so those are those are my social media take those are my opinions but yeah if you want to follow me go ahead alright you heard him you got the warning so um, well thank you very much thank for you for having me show. I'm sorry I got weirdly sour at the end um, okay. this was fun yeah it was thank you mm-hmm and that concludes the Sunday, February 10th episode of Poets and Muses. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. You can follow us on SoundCloud, Instagram, as well as Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also now subscribe to our newsletter on the upper right-hand side of the SoundCloud Poets and Muses page. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a great week, and I look forward to bringing you the show again next Sunday.